victims here. And, uh, and, and I think uh, drawing into this um, regional kind of human rights instruments does in itself uh, strengthen our own position and our own standing in terms of commitment to dealing with this um, um, uh, problem of, of hate crime. But also including additional procedural safeguards in the taking of victim impact statement. And I'll amplify, I'll amplify again this, uh, this, this issue. And again, we think that the inclusion in section 363 of uh, sentencing option that includes community service and restorative justice process in, in recognition that custodial sentence or fines are not always an effective means of achieving justice, uh, rehabilitation of offenders, repairing the harm caused by the crime or promoting social justice. We think this is very important um, that um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's the, 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 the options that include community services, restorative justice processes, which are also part of our, our criminal justice processes, should be also be included um, as an option um, in, term, in terms of uh, sentencing. Referencing reference in Section 8 uh, to a duty on the National Commission of Police to include reporting on the implementation of the Act in the sub-annual report. We think this is very important. Uh, it, should, should, it should be obligatory that um, the, the National Commissioner is compelled uh, in this Act already that uh, there need to be an annual reporting uh, regarding um, hate crimes and hate speech. But also broadening the scope of Section 9 regarding the prevention of hate crimes and hate speech to include measures to address the broader societal and environmental factors that can lead to hate crimes and hate speech. Uh, this includes in particular the establishment of a, prevent, a prevention framework that promotes interventions to address risk and challenges at an individual relationship, community, societal level to address risk and challenges leading to hate crimes and hate speech. We, we think this, is, this, 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 will, uh, this, this will be very important uh, because some of the factors that actually de um, perpetuate hate crime and hate speech are located in the environment. And we think that um, uh, the, the, the act itself can actually assist in, 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 in kind of preventing uh, these kind of hate crimes from proactive uh, point of view. But on the issue of victim impact statement, um, I we support the, the express provision for, 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 for a victim impact statement. I think we think this is, very, this is consistent uh, with uh, what we, we 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 see in in, in, in many in, in many in many acts that have, that have been, that have been developed in the, in this country, and we echo the the Law Society of South Africa's position, which correctly suggests that the victim impact statement is a useful a tool in proving new information to the court regarding physical, psychological, social, and financial impact of the victim. In this way, the voices of victims are enhanced in the criminal justice system, and I think this is, this is very important. And already, like I've said, this position is consistent uh, with the president in the Child Justice Act and in the Criminal Law Sexual Offenses Related Matters Amendment uh, Act 32 of 2007, and also consistent as, as well with the victim charter. Uh, which um, um, uh, encourages that the voices of victims must be heard in the criminal justice process. Um, when it, when it, with regards to uh, the penalties, Section 63 
um, A and B of the draft bill prescribe the sentence for any person convicted in, in, in terms of Section 4. APCOF recommends that the bill be amended to include the prescribed sentencing option of community uh, uh, service and restorative justice process. I think I've already, I've already, I've already um, uh, made, made, made the point. Uh, perhaps I can, I can just, um, uh, for the purpose of time, leave this um, slide. But when it comes to directives, welcome the provision for, for directive involving the NDPP uh, to consult with the DG of Justice and um, um, Correctional Services and SAPS National Commissioner. However, we recommend the committee to consider the amendment to Section 7 to provide a specific and time-bound directive to the National Commission of, of Police for the measures required to achieve full and effective implementation of the law. I think we think that uh, leaving it blankly uh, as a statement would may not be may, may, may not be acted upon, and that we think a specific and time bound directive is very important to get things done. We recommend that these consultations and issuance of these directives should not exceed ninety days of the promulgation of this act, and that we think that concession uh, um, and issuance of this directive is very important. That it must be time bound. Section 7 should also include the provision for the issuance of directives in the form of standing orders and national instructions by the South African National Commissioner. We think that is very important so that um, uh, the, the standing orders and national instructions are, are developed within the South African police services for members to act upon. The integral role of the SAPS. Uh, to the succession, successful implementation of, the, of, of, of this law is very, is very important, can never underestimate it. Subs are at the center of it. The issuance of adequate training and, uh, and prosecutors should also be provided for in the Act Chair, and we think that is very important uh, to ensure that hate crimes are properly investigated and properly prosecuted, and, but in a manner that uh, carries with it the principles of Ubuntu. In this regard, we recommend that Section 7 should include the provision that the NPA and, and SAPS should develop a provision and provide training for all its members within a period not exceeding 12 months of the Ensuring Act. And we think that is very important so that um, there is an alignment between what the Act is, is intended to and the timber of prosecutors and police officers who should be capacitated and trained to successfully implement uh, this, uh, the, 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 uh, this law. So in terms of um, the amendment that we, 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 um, we suggest, Chair, to address our concerns, we recommend that the current Section 7 be amended to be Section 7.1, and that the following text is added as new subsections to, uh, to, that, to that section. So section 7.2 would be training for prosecutors and uh, it will read as national director of public prosecutions must develop relevant training courses with reference to the directives in subsection one and to ensure adequate training takes place within the national prosecution authority. This we think is very important. We are left at five minutes. I'm, 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 I'm almost done, Chair. 
Seven three, the National Commission of Southern Police Services must, within 90 days of the promulgation of the Act, and in consultation with the Minister of Police and the National Director of Public Protection, issue national instructions regarding all matters which are reasonable, necessary, and expedient to be provided for in relation to the Act, and which must be followed by all police members, including the following. following. The manner in which cases are related to hate crime and hate speech are to be dealt with, including procedures, specific investigating procedures and the treatment of complaints and the collection, analysis and publication of information. We think those three issues in the national instructions are, must be provided for and the committee should be able to monitor uh, the development of these, uh, um, of these national instructions. Seven four, we recommend that the training, National Commissioner must develop a training courses with reference to the national instructions reference to in subsection three and ensure that adequate training takes place within the South African police services with relevant training provided to all members of the detective services within a period of 12 months from the promulgation of this bill. We think that would be very important um, if that is monitored that it, 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 it takes place. And again, I, when it comes to reporting on the implementation of the Act, subs, I mean, uh, we, we welcome the provision in section, in section 8, which puts the ultimate responsibility of data collection and reporting on the implementation of, of the Act to the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services. We think that is consistent with international practices. Therefore, we recommend that Section 8 be amended to specifically require the Minister of Justice, the subs, and the NPA to publish such data in their respective annual reports. And in conclusion, Chair, uh, we really want to thank uh, the, 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 the Department of, of Justice for the, for, the, for the current iteration of this bill. We are grateful for the commitment shown and the work already undertaken in strengthening the bill. We encourage the committee to maintain its oversight of the implementation of this law, particularly as it pertains to its effectiveness in combating hate crime and hate speech by the criminal justice institution. Our post-democratic mantra, never again, continues to elude us. And this bill gives hope to many victims of hate crime and hate speech and a clear signal of indeed never again. More information is available in our written submission uh, to this committee. We thank you, thank you, Chair and Honorable Members. We can take questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Masugo, for the presentation. Members, that is the presentation from Mr. Masugo. I have the following members who would want to ask questions or make comments. Honorable Kolangola, Honorable Nick, Dr. Nibut Drachand, Honorable Stephen Swart, in that order. Honorable Ngola. Thanks, Chair. Uh, you know, Chair, when you see that kind of a background from the presenter, uh, you start uh, getting impression that, you know what, uh, given those books at the back, it means there is going to be a very impressive conversation. Just on a lighter note, chair. Uh, chair, my my question is one, and uh, it's a it's a it's a general question. We all know where uh, Section sixteen of the Constitution, the freedom of expression, which is affectionately and as the freedom of speech. Now, how do you suggest that in this bill we strike the balance between the freedom of 
speech and the hate speech. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Mola, Honorable Nibu Strohan. Thank you, Chairperson. Good morning to everyone on the platform. Good morning. I'm Wilmanio Drukhan. I'm a member of this committee. Um, so voicing the person's voice that you are hearing is not my voice. That is the voice of my sign language interpreter because I'm using South African sign language. I don't have a specific question regarding the submission, but um, can you just give us a little bit background, a little bit of background to your organization, the African Police Monitoring Civilian Oversight Forum? Um, who, who are you? Um, who are your members? And I'm curious, do you also provide assistance to SAPs? Um, do you provide any training to SAPs? So I just wanted to know a little bit more about your organization. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Dr. Nibos Prohan. Uh, Honorable Stephen Swart. Yes, thank you, Chair, and good morning to Mr. Masuk, and thank you for your presentation. It's very impressive. Um, I just wanted to add to what the Honorable Trollo has said about the Balancing Act, and maybe in your response you would look at particularly Section 4, um, sub to A, B, C, and D, where there is an attempt to create certain exemptions um, in striking that balance, and then read with Section 16.1 and Section 2 of the Constitution. And given your uh, obvious academic background, you might want to um, allude to that in a written edition, or if, if the committee permits, um, to how to strike that balance, whether that is exemptions said out in section um, 4.2 to achieve that balance. What I would also like to particularly ask you is given your reference to the challenges that on the implementation side of the bill, um, and that is where you make specific reference correctly that a significant investment will be required by the SAPs to ensure capacity firstly, to properly identify, investigate crimes, hate crimes, ensure data collection and provide appropriate support and care and the establishment of specialized capacity. Now, when we look at the bill, page 17 on the financial implications, it indicates that no additional funding is being sought to implement the bill. Do you think that this is not correctly costed or um, given what you already say, or is it your view that additional funding will be required to implement the bill? Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you very much, Honorable Swart. Uh, over to you, Mr. Masuko. Um, thank you very much, uh, honorable members, uh, for, for the questions. As I indicated at the beginning of my presentation, I am co-presenting this uh, with my colleague, Luis Edward, who is also going to answer some of these questions. So I'll deal with some of the questions and I'll defer uh, some of the more difficult questions to have to, to, to deal with. But um, um, just, to, just, to, just to start with um, the question from Honorable uh, on, on, on Swat, the, 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 the costing of the bill, um, we, we think that is very important. Uh, to to ensure that this bill um, uh, 
achieve its intended purpose, the issue of costing would be, would be very critical. So the issues that we've already flagged um, as, as critical in the, implementation, in, in the implementation of this bill, we are unsure whether already that has been considered because there's going to be a lot of changes that will require within, within for example, the criminal justice institutions. Uh, the police will, 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 will need to reposition themselves uh, to make sure that they're able to, to, to successfully implement. And that will require training. Uh, uh, training on the, on the bill itself so that uh, those, um, uh, in particular section, section, those crimes in section uh, three and section four are, are properly understood by police officers. So they, there must never be uh, litigation that comes after because police have not been uh, able to, to properly understand exactly what is meant in the bill or in the act by, 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 by those crimes. So we think that the, 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 the issue of costing and additional funding will be very important. I mean, other organizations already yesterday, which, which I think we agree with, will require also additional resources at police station level. Uh, victims of uh, hate crime and hate, they, they may require a special special kind of uh, treatment as opposed to going to this um, to the service centers and being treated in a kind of open area. That they, they, they are resources that are deployed to make sure that their dignity and their and their and their privacy is, is dealt with as and when they report these crimes. So um, just a bit of a background about the organization. Um, uh, which I'm sure my, my colleague Louis Edwards will also expand on. We we we're a pan-African organization. Uh, we're based in Cape Town, uh, though I'm I'm actually I'm still working from uh, from 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 my home in in uh, in, in, in Johannesburg. But it's an organization uh, that has been in ex- that has been a, a, that works more broadly in the in the region, um, assisting, providing technical support to to key. Um, state institutions around their oversight and the strengthening democratic policing. I would do very work. We do work with, with the South African police services very closely. Uh, right now, we are um, on a project that we are doing on on um, an anti xenophobia. We will be rolling out a training specifically capacitating police officers around understanding the immigration the, the immigration law in terms of policing of non nationals. Because we think that is very important. That in as much as um, uh, in, 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 in as much as police have a right to uh, to to kind of uh, um, uh, stop and search, but uh, they do that uh, with a clear understanding of what the law requires of them. So we are rolling out this pro- this uh, um, uh, training uh, throughout uh, um, throughout nine provinces, uh, training police officers on the. On, on, on how to on, on the immigration kind of law and processes and and, and some of the challenges that um, migrants face in this country. I'll defer some of the questions to my colleague uh, Louis, Louis Edwards. Thank you, Temba. Um, thank you, Chairperson. Just to, to briefly respond um, in terms of two issues. Uh, in terms of who APCOF is, just just to supplement um, Timber's explanation is that we've been around uh, for about 18 years and our method of work is to 
uh, promote the establishment of civilian oversight of the police. Um, and we started off as a very strong base um, in South Africa because of the, the establishment of IPED. And we were able to look at the ways in which um, the, its establishment had impacts on policing um, and to use that as a template for, for a pan-African response to issues of police accountability. Um, and we've also worked a, in relation to custody management um, in South Africa with directly with SAPS. Um, but we also provide direct technical assistance to um, those mechanisms which are charged with the oversight of SAP. So we do a lot of work with the Human Rights Commission and the new National Preventive Mechanism, a lot of work with IPED and historically with the Civilian Secretariat as well as your own committee. Um, in terms of this issue of, of hate speech, um, it has always been APCOF's position that the hate crimes bill shouldn't actually deal with this issue of hate speech. Um, so it's not a direct response to the question in terms of the exemptions. I, I noted the offer for potentially for additional um, additional written submissions on the issue, and, and we would certainly take that up. Um, but our position to this point has always been that from a practical level and a constitutional level, we think that um, uh, it's going to cause confusion and that there already are existing mechanisms, as, as you've heard submissions on before, to deal with uh, to deal with hate speech. And that does include the criminal charge of crimin injura um, and there's the issues around the promotion um, of equality and the prevention of unfair discrimination act, et cetera. And we think that in terms of the costing it, et cetera, um, that additional support and implementation support should be provided in terms of what exists in the law currently to regulate hate speech and that we shouldn't be creating a new mechanism to deal with that. Um, and yeah, so but we would be we would I'd be open to providing additional consideration on this point, given that it does diverge that the specific question from what has been our position up to date. Um, and I think that that deals with the, the remaining issues. Uh, thank you, Chair. Thank you, Timber. Thank you very much, Ms. Edwards. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's invite the next organization, Media Monitoring Africa, are they on the platform? Yes, Chair, they're on the platform. Thank you very much. Honorable uh, Mola, can you lower your hand? Thank you very much. It's up again. Thank you. Media Monitoring Africa, can you start? They, yes, seem yeah. to be, they seem to be muted, Chair. I don't know, maybe it's issues of network. They can hear you, I'm quite sure. Uh, can you go to the next organization? Hi, good, good morning. Good morning, Chair and, and honorable members. Um, sorry about that. We're just dealing with some technical issues. 
Um, my name is Tandy Smith, and I will be presenting for Media Monitoring Africa. I'll be joined by a colleague, Advocate Ben Winks, um, who will be co-presenting with me. Um, and um, just wait, just waiting to see if he is um, on the call. I, I do believe he will be joining any second now, but um, I'm happy to to go ahead and start presenting. Okay, can you proceed? Do you have 20 minutes? Thank you very much. Um, let me just share my screen. All right, um, is that clearly visible? Yes, it is. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Um, okay, uh, thank you. Um, as I mentioned, uh, my name is Tandy Smith. I'm head of programs at Media Monitoring Africa. And just to give you an idea of how we'll structure the presentation this morning, um, I will be giving a, a brief overview of our approach to this submission, as well as um, just MMA as uh, um, MMA generally. We'll then go on to highlight some of the key points that we make in our submissions around the provisions of hate speech, as well as the offense of hate crimes. We'll then touch on some of the other provisions and recommendations that we feel um, the, the committee should be, the attention of the committee should be brought or two, uh, and then we will conclude. Just to give a little bit of a background into Media Monitoring Africa, we are a nonprofit organization based in Johannesburg, and we've been in operation since 1993. We were established in, um, to, to monitor the coverage of our first democratic elections. And since then, we have grown into a um, fairly medium-sized organization that monitors, uh, continue to monitor a range of human rights-based issues um, in our media using civil technology um, and, and that, that scope of media monitoring has broadened into dealing with, with uh, a range of um, of policy-related issues where, where we, we deal with a number of, inf um, a number of uh, challenges dealing with information rights, rights to privacy, right to freedom of expression, um, access to information. And, and through that, our approach has always been um, based around a, a, a constitutional, um, based around our, our, our constitutional mandate. Um, our goal of the organization, as the organization, is promoting um, a free, fair, ethical, and critical media culture, um, which will promote and enable a, a just and fair society. Um, through our work over the years, we've engaged in a range of legislative litigious and advocacy processes um, that deal with these issues. And that's why we have a, a keen interest in this particular bill that deals with, with hate speech and hate crimes. Thank you. 
Right. Um, I've just been alerted that my colleague, um, Advocate Ben Winks, has, has joined um, the session. Just in dealing with our approach to, to the submission um, or to the, to the bill, we, one of the, the key issues um, that we would like to highlight is the, the appropriate balance that needs to be struck between the issues of freedom of expression and other competing rights and interests. Um, that, that has come across in, in a number of our policy submissions um, dealing with a range of issues. And, and it's the same approach that we take with, with our submission to this particular bill. Just to reiterate, we have been an active participant in, in the process up until now. Um, providing submissions to the very first iteration of the bill. And I think something that we wanted to, to particularly highlight is through our work, we do a lot of work with, um, with children and amplifying the, the voices of children. And we have a particular project where um, children actually provide their own views and, and submissions on particular bills and or um, policy submissions. And this particular bill had a submission from, um, from a group of children that we worked with from our Empowering Children and the Media Project. And just to reiterate again, um, the, the point that we, we focus on um, promoting the constitutional rights and, and relating to this bill particularly um, is, of course, the freedom of expression as well as access to information. Another point that we wanted to highlight, some key areas of work that we, we do on a very practical level in terms of hate speech. Um, we, in partnership with the IEC and, and a number of other organizations, um, have built the, the system, the Real 411, which deals with real um, complaints submitted by the by members of the public, um, you know, uh, members of the public to address issues of hate speech online. Um, and one of the key key points here is that we have partnered with the South African Human Rights Commission in um, approaches on dealing with with hate speech online. And again, this is particularly um, in line with trying to, to strike that very difficult balance between the right to freedom of expression um, and, and managing and tackling harmful content um, that is disseminated across various online platforms. And with that, I would like to hand over to my colleague, um, Ben Winks, to, to take us through the provisions on hate speech and hate crimes. Thank you very much uh, to my colleague, Ms. Smith, and thank you, Chair and committee members for giving us this opportunity. It may be useful to recall a brief background uh, to the bill, um, which was originally called for by civil society groups to address hate crimes in particular, that is, you know, common crimes that are committed with a hateful motive, which cry out for some kind of additional firm response by the criminal justice system. And the reason they cry out for that response is because while 
any crime has an impact on the immediate victim and perhaps the immediate community, like a murder, an assault, a malicious injury to property, arson, a hate crime has a much wider impact. It strikes a shockwave across the country in many cases, um, where it strikes at the dignity the human dignity of an entire group of people based on their group identity. So a homophobic murder um, or a corrective rape affects not only the immediate victim and community uh, affecting their sense of individual safety like any other violent crime, but strikes at the dignity and the right to equal human worth of all uh, queer people across the country. And the same goes for uh, racially motivated hate crimes, um, crimes committed, motivated by a person's albinism uh, or some other disability. Uh, so the need, the pressing need for specific hate crimes legislation was urgent already in the 1990s when uh, this legislation was first contemplated. It's now taken over 20 years for the legislation to get to this point. And one of the reasons for that, as the committee will know, is because the drafters saw fit to couple the hate crimes provisions with a chapter on hate speech. Now, speech is a much more contested terrain. Um, you have a conflict between the right to freedom of expression on the one hand and the rights to human dignity and equality on the other, which hate speech provisions aim to protect and vindicate. Um, one of the reasons why the legislation has taken so long is because there have been challenges to the existing civil hate speech legislation, Section 10 of the Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act, which were resolved finally with the Constitutional Court's judgment in South African Human Rights Committee versus Koelane. Now, that should never have been the case. We comment um, in passing, uh, because that held up the hate crimes legislation unnecessarily. Because the hate speech chapter, as the committee knows and as the department knows, was always going to be subject to a constitutional challenge. There are many groups in South Africa, which you know I would regard as falling on the side of almost free speech absolutists or free speech fundamentalists, which are destined to challenge any hate speech legislation, however progressively motivated or however carefully crafted. And obviously the committee is going to be alive to that possibility and is going to approach the hate speech um, chapter with considerable care in order to insulate it from any potential constitutional challenge. Now, um, as my colleague has said, uh, Media Monitoring Africa is not a group of free speech absolutists or fundamentalists, certainly not. Uh, what we seek to do is to strike the appropriate balance between freedom of expression on the one hand and dignity and equality on the other. Now, regrettably, the current formulation, as we assess it, will be subject to a successful constitutional challenge. Um, it will not pass 
constitutional scrutiny and uh, the reasons are as follows. If uh, I can just ask Tani to move to the next slide. The first problem is that hate speech is already prohibited under civil law. And one of the key things uh, that is assessed by a court when there is a constitutional challenge on the basis of an infringement of a right or a limitation of a right is whether the limitation is proportionate. In other words, whether it is excessive or not. Now, uh, internationally um, and in uh, some of our neighboring countries, there have been judgments concerning the criminalization of defamation, which was inherited from colonial law, where defamation was not only a civil wrong, but also a criminal wrong. And internationally, the African Commission on Human and People's Rights has called for the criminal defamation offense to be repealed. Um, and many uh, of our neighboring countries have struck down the offense of criminal defamation is unconstitutional. And the reason they have done that is because it is excessive, because there is already a civil remedy for that violation of a person's um, right to dignity and reputation. Now, the same logic will apply to the criminalization of, of hate speech, especially if it uses the same language as the civil prohibition that the existence of the civil prohibition and civil remedies in the Equality Court will render the criminal prohibition excessive, an excessive limitation of the right to freedom of expression. So that is our first concern, which I'll elaborate on briefly uh, in a moment. Then number two is that even if the committee is intent on criminalizing substantially the same conduct as is already prohibited under the civil law, the Equality Act. Um, the Equality Act has been amended by the Constitutional Court in Kwelane, and the current formulation doesn't match the uh, Constitutional Court's formulation in Kwelane. So it would need uh, to be adapted to match that, and also would need to be made a subjective test rather than an objective test because we're dealing here with criminal law and not civil law. Um, and thirdly, uh, in Kwelane, the Constitutional Court found that hate speech prohibitions cannot apply to private communications, uh, whereas the current formulation of um, the offense of hate speech in the bill does apply to private communications. So that obviously would need to be adapted. Um, so let's move then into more detail on our first point. So the prohibition on hate speech um, must be seen in the context of what is already criminalized in South Africa. Um, yeah, so, five minutes. Pardon, sorry? Yeah, left is five minutes. Five minutes, thank you. So there is already a um, criminal prohibition in the Rome Statute Act on incitement to genocide. There are common law crimes of incitement to, to commit any serious offense, incitement to public violence, and crimininuria. Now, if the hate crimes chapter is uh, enacted into law, then that will sufficiently mean that those speech prohibitions, those criminal prohibitions on incitement speech as well as intimidation of an individual under the Intimidation Act, 
um, where committed with a hateful motive or based on prohibited grounds, then that already would be regarded as a hate crime, crumeninuria, or hate crime intimidation, or hate crime um, incitement to public violence or incitement uh, to, to commit another offence. So there's no need then to separately criminalise hate speech or speech that falls into those criminal categories that's committed with a hateful motive. That will be regarded as excessive and unnecessary. Now, um, I've indicated why it would not pass constitutional muster to criminalise that which is already um, prohibited under Section 10. Now, it was, it is permissible for the legislature to do what it did in the Equality Act, which is to go beyond the extreme speech that is excluded from uh, the category of protected speech in Section 16.2c of the Constitution. Now, we're talking about advocacy of hatred based on prohibited grounds that constitutes incitement to cause harm. So there is no impediment to Parliament passing an act that criminalizes the speech described in Section 16.2c of the Constitution, because that is not protectable speech. There can't be a successful constitutional challenge against the criminalization of that speech. And we would submit that the best way to insulate the act or this bill, once it becomes an act, from a constitutional challenge would be to track the language of 16.2c of the Constitution. There then isn't any gap of you know, hate speech that then is not prohibited because it's dealt with either by the civil law or the existing criminal offences. can just move to the next slide. So this is the alternative formulation we would propose, that any person who intentionally engages in advocacy of hatred that constitutes incitement to cause harm based on one of one or more of the following grounds is guilty of an offence of hate speech. And we'd respectfully submit that this would be the appropriate balance um, and the best way to ensure that the act will pass constitutional muster or this offence will pass constitutional muster while serving the legitimate purposes of protecting people's dignity and equality. Um, then I'll move briefly to the next slide. Um, I think I might have, we might have missed one. Sorry, can you just go back, Tandy? Okay, I see. So this was our primary suggestion. Now, the issue that we have, um, the other issue we have in respect of hate speech, um, you, you've seen our submissions, our written submissions on hate crimes. So I won't repeat those given the time that we have. But it's important to note that the current formulation in the bill of the hate speech prohibition, if you're not convinced that to use the formulation we've proposed, it will at the very least need to be adapted in two ways. One is that the ele elements of harm and hatred are at the moment um, alternative or disjunctive in the bill. So they're joined by the word or. So either harmful or inciting harm or promoting or propagating hatred. Now in Quelane, the constitutional court said that it has to be both. It has to be cumulative uh, or conjunctive, otherwise it will excessively limit the right to freedom of expression. So the word or has to be replaced with the word and. And the other problem is that because this is a criminal statute, the standard in criminal law, apart from the offense of culpable homicide, um, is intention. Now the current formulation of the bill uses an objective test that it's the reasonable in, could be reasonably interpreted to demonstrate the prohibited intentions 
um, which is an objective test which isn't compatible with our criminal law that requires a subjective test, that requires intention to commit the proscribed harms in order for a person to be convicted. So that also would then be challenged as a limitation on the right to freedom of expression as well as uh, personal freedom and security, uh, the right not to be detained without um, just cause. So uh, those are our primary submissions. I think I'll just hand over to Tandi to wrap up in the remaining minute or two, and uh, then we'd be happy to answer any questions. Well, thanks very much, Ben. Um... You do not have a remaining minute, or you have a half a minute. Okay, all right. Then I'll go straight to our conclusion. Um, uh, apologies for that. Um, I hope that we can deal with some of the issues in the Q&A. I think um, just to highlight in the, the 30 seconds that we have, um, we, we, want, well, we want to reiterate that a bill such as, um, such as this one needs to add to building social cohesion and breaking cycles of, of hate and prejudice. And I think that that is one of the, the key takeaways, um, as well as looking at how we integrate principles of restorative justice um, as part of education and, and information campaigns. Um, there is a vital need for the legal framework to address hate crimes and hate speech. But as, we, as we've highlighted in our submissions, um, the bill as it stands will not pass um, constitutional muster. And we, we therefore urge the committee to take all necessary steps to ensure that the bill is more narrowly focused and carefully drafted to deepen efforts um, to protect the marginalized and promote equality, justice, and social cohesion. And with that, we thank you for the opportunity to, to make this submission. Um, and you know, with that, um, thank you very much. Are any questions. Thank you very much. Um, members, are there any questions or comments? Um, Honorable Stephen Swart and Honorable Leibold Strachans, in that order. Thank you, Chair. And thank you to the presenters from Media Monitoring. Um, I, I find the um, arguments very persuasive and concerning, particularly given that there's almost broad consensus in the committee about the hate crimes aspect. And there's been a lot of discussion as to whether the hate speech aspects are needed at all, given the existing legislation such as Papuda, such as pointed out by the presenters. And this does lead one to consider and ask the specific question whether their view is that the hate speech sections should be totally excluded, given existing legislation, to avoid the delays on the hate crimes aspect coming into law through constitutional litigation. It's highly unlikely that the hate crimes aspect will be litigated upon, but one might find the whole bill being delayed due to constitutional challenges purely on the hate speech aspect. And we know there's a lot of opposition to that, such as the previous presenters made, such as the 78,000 petitions that were sent to the department. What is your view on that? And secondly, should the committee um, uh, 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 should the committee continue with the hate speech provisions, would it 
in your view, be sufficient should your amendments be included to meet any constitutional challenges, given the fact that you are uh, linking the hate speech provisions directly to Section 16.2. Thank you, Chair, for that. Thank you very much, Honorable Swart, Honorable Nebur Johan. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you to the MMA for their presentation. Well, thank you for your presentation. First, the first presenter said that you're working with children, um, and there's also a project with children um, in terms of this bill. Now, I'd like to know what was the outcome of what the children said with regard to this bill. Um, if you can explain a little bit more about that. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, Ms. Ling Tro from Same Love Toti, we don't allow members of the public at this stage to ask questions to one another. Uh, it's only members of parliament and members from the Department of Justice who are allowed to ask questions. Thank you very much. Uh, over to you uh, uh, with responses. Thank you, Chair. I'll just briefly answer Honourable Swart's uh, question and then hand over to my colleague to answer uh, Honourable uh, Nuvo-Druchen's question. The, um, I, I don't believe, or we don't believe it's appropriate to jettison the hate speech chapter completely. And the reason I say that is this is that uh, under international law, South Africa is actually obliged under the International uh, Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and other, uh, other acts or conventions, like the Convention on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, is actually obliged to criminalize extreme hate speech. So advocacy of hatred that constitutes incitement to discrimination, hostility, or violence. That's the language used in the Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. So we do actually have to criminalize extreme hate speech. But the safe way to do that, and it's a completely safe way to do that, is to use the formulation with respect that we've proposed, which is to use the language of Section 16.2c of the Constitution. Because no one who is reasonably legally advised will challenge a provision that simply uses the language of 16.2c of the Constitution, because that category of speech is simply not protectable at all. So if the hate speech provision simply uses that language, then there can't be a successful constitutional challenge against it. So it would be perhaps too extreme a reaction to, to take out the hate speech chapter completely, um, because it is important also to not only to deal with the downstream incitement to genocide, but also the upstream uh, persecutive speech um, that we see saw you know, in Rwanda and Yugoslavia and um, and Germany uh, before the Holocaust. So that, those would be our submissions. And I hand over to to Tani to deal with uh, the other question. Thank you, Advocate Mills. All right. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for those questions. Um, and yeah, uh, my colleague um, Advocate Winks has has addressed the the issue on hate speech. Um, I'll touch on the next one, just from the the children's submission. Um, we held a workshop with fifty five um, 
young young people and what was really interesting was the emphasis um, from their submissions was more around the prevention and combating of of hate speech and um, we'll gladly share the, the the submission with the committee um, and that was one of the key reasons why we included the the point around restorative justice in in our submission was that um, you know, the, the point that simply putting people in jail um, would not solve the problem. Um, and that came directly from, um, from our work with children. Um, but we'll gladly share that submission with you um, once again. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for your presentation, Media Monitoring Africa. Uh, some of the issues we have raised, we will consider them when we deliberate on the bill when we deal with it clause by clause. Uh, we will take all the um, presentations that have been made into consideration. Thank you very much. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you, Chair and committee members, and we wish you well with your deliberations. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. Bye. Um, consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. Are they on the official platform? Okay, yes. You can start. Uh, good morning, uh, Honorable Chair uh, and Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee. Um, my name is Tifuru Pedis in Tumure. Uh, I'm the Executive Director at the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. Um, I will be presenting our oral submission with regard to the prevention and combating of the hate crimes and hate speech bill uh, on behalf of the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. Um, my presentation will be comprised by three components. Um, introduction and information about our organizations, uh, then the proposed submission that we have already made through our written submission, uh, which we will be happy uh, to share with the members of the portfolio committee once again, um, and then it will be closure. Uh, you have 20 minutes. Thank, thank you, Chair. Um, the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa is pleased to make this submission on the published submission on the prevention and combating of the hate crime and hate speech bill. Uh, a little bit of a background about our organization is that COMSA is a national network of 26 member organization in good standing whose main objectives and missions are the promotion and protection of the human rights of asylum seekers, refugees, migrants in a ways that promote well-being of all in South Africa, the SADC region and globally. COMSA model is such that through our members and partners collectively, we cover work at local, provincial, national, sub-regional, regional, and global levels to ensure that daily challenges faced by non-nationals are addressed through policy and practices, which goes along with the implementation of the inclusive policies in South Africa. To begin with our submissions, which we have already um, submitted our written submission to the portfolio committee. I will want to also emphasize, uh, Chair, that we are also endorsing the submissions that were made by the hate crime and uh, working group 
before this committee. Uh, Comsa takes note that the bill aims to give effect to the Republic's obligation in terms of the Constitution and International Human Rights Instrument containing racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance in accordance with the international law obligations. For example, persecution of persons who commit those offenses. Comsa is content that this bill focuses more on criminalization of offenses and is silent in outlining processes and procedures to the address of the root causes of those offenses. And we are much concerned that if the bill is adopted into law without outlining the rehabilitation processes of those concerned, the bill will present a, a, a much problem to the members of the law enforcement agencies, especially the South African police services and the correctional services officers in terms of correcting the offenders with regard to the core offenses that they will have committed uh, against the bill. Comsat proposes that before passing this bill into law, the government should outline and put in place mechanism that will address the causes of the hate crimes and hate speech and rehabilitation processes of those concerned. We have seen, Chair, uh, in the current spate of xenophobia in South Africa, uh, that the national action plan uh, that is governed or that is being administered by uh, the National Department of Justice and Constitutional Development it is there, but it's not being utilized in order to address some elements of xenophobia and other social ills on the grounds. And, and we really need uh, that the National Action Plan needs to be uh, uh, given some muzzles and being administered so that uh, it can also address uh, and put some mechanism in place with regard to issues of xenophobia uh, and other related intolerance that are currently taking place in our communities. There is a need for legal regulation to guide behavior uh, change rather than only focusing on criminalization. However, the bill should not stop at criminalizing hate crimes and hate speech, but it should take the important steps of tasking the state uh, ostensibly government at all levels, as well as chapter nine institution in terms of addressing uh, the hate crimes and hate speech offenses in our community level. Comsa is satisfied that the bill recognizes section uh, nine, subsection one of the South African constitution that of everyone is equal before the law and has the right to equal protection and benefit of the law. Uh, and section nine, subsection three uh, reads together with subsection four. Uh, because if you look at the constitutional uh, uh, section, uh, it talks about that the state cannot discriminate based uh, on the various um, levels and of, of origin, birth, HIV status, language, uh, nationality, and so forth. So we are very much pleased, but our target beneficiaries uh, will be included, not to be excluded, to be protected and benefit from this law. Section one definition, Comsa proposes the inclusion of the asylum seeker, xenophobia, racial discrimination, racism, and refugee and stateless uh, definition as defined by the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. We feel that the definitions that have been provided uh, under this bill, they are not sufficient enough because you, uh, the bill left out this 
critical components that will help guide uh, the law enforcement agencies who will be policing this bill in terms of understanding if a person is an asylum seeker, they are referring to who an asylum seeker person is and what is a xenophobia and what constitutes a racial discrimination and what is racism and who is a refugee and who is a stateless person within uh, the South African context. We are proposing that this definition should and must be well explained and well be uh, included within uh, the bill so that the law enforcement agency or personnel or officials who will be officiating this bill will be in a position to interpret all these categories of people very well. Because why are we saying this as COMSA? It's because we have seen uh, in the practical level when we are engaging uh, with the law enforcement agencies and the community members at a broader uh, level or, or on a community level, there is a greater uh, challenge and, 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 and a problem that gets to be posed uh, in terms of understanding uh, the categories of people who are in our communities, more especially in terms of who is an asylum seeker, who is a refugee, who is an economic migrant, and who is a stateless. This will also help uh, the Department of Justice uh, to provide information and education level to both the community and the law enforcement agency by defining these uh, categories of elements or categories of terms. Sub, uh, section two, object of the, on the object of the act, uh, Comsa proposes the insertion of age um, under the Roman figures that have been proposed on the bill to provide for the promotion and addressing the root causes and the rehabilitation processes that the department will have outlined, as it was previously mentioned, that there has to be some outlining uh, and provision that talks to the rehabilitation processes and addressing the root causes of those hate crime and hate speech. Section three, subsection one, uh, offense of hate crimes. Uh, on K, on Roman figure K, Comsa proposes the insertion of asylum seekers and stateless as group of people that exist and live in the Republic of South Africa. Comsa believes that leaving them out as a group of people will subject them to further hate crimes as they are not recognized by the bills. So we also propose the insertion of these categories of people on section four, subsection one, on the offenses of hate speech. Because we, when, we are, when we were making our written submission, we have realized that this category of, of people, they seem in most occasions being left out and they are not mentioned. And they are protected by the laws of South Africa, more especially the Refugee Act of 1998 and the statelessness as per the court judgment that have been uh, uh, presented to address issues of statelessness in South Africa. Section 4, subsection 1b, Comsa proposes the insertion of the word unintentionally in this section to read any person who unintentionally or intentionally distribute or make available uh, an electronic communication which that person knows constitute hate speech as contemplated in paragraph A through an electronic communication system which is also on the section 1, subsection 1. Uh, C as well, so because in our interrogation and our practical intervention on a community level, we have oftenly uh, witnessed uh, political leaders, or more especially during elections, 
when they will do the, their electioneering at the expense of the non-nationals who are in South Africa, and when they are called to order and to respond or to account for their statement, they will then say they are quoted out of context and it was not intentionally. So we are hoping that if the word unintentionally is inserted in this section, it will also address the, state, the rhetoric statement that politicians uh, utter out during the election uh, processes. This was a clear example uh, during the last year's local municipal election where we saw quite a number of political parties, uh, especially the minority parties. Uh, they were electioneering um, through at the expense of the migrant and non-nationals who are in South Africa uh, with a statement such as that um, government cannot provide services because we have got huge uh, influx uh, of migrant in our communities, scapegoating the real issue of service delivery and other related issues uh, 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 and making excuses uh, based on the migrants. So we are hoping that if the word unintentionally is inserted, it will then put uh, some refraining and, and some li limitation uh, to the leaders and political uh, uh, persons uh, to make such statement and later come back to say it was unintentionally or I was quoted out of context. Section four, subsection two A, COMSA proposes that this subsection be rephrased to limit and caution politicians not to use this section for their electioneering and luring supporters. Um, this is a build up to the previous statement that I have already alluded to. Yes, of course, it will might it might have some uh, contradiction. Uh, contradiction uh, with the section uh, 16, I believe, in the Constitution, the one of the freedom of expression, but it needs to be rephrased and put the word unintentionally so that we don't leave uh, it uh, open and, and, and for the use of the politi uh, politicians and other political figures, including the traditional leaders and other community leaders um, and other social movements that we have seen in our community level when they issue out statements that are rhetoric and promote uh, xenophobia and hatred in our community and later to come back and say, I was quoted out of context and it was my freedom of expression. We believe that uh, the committee should find ways uh, of rephrasing this section uh, to make sure that the abuse of the freedom of expression does not go out uh, without being cautioned. Section five, subsection one. Uh, five minutes. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I will be closing now. Um, Section 5, subsection 1, uh, victim impact statement. Comsa makes a submission of the word testimony to be included on the section to read, uh, for purpose of this section, a victim impact statement means a sworn statement or affirmation or a testimony in a situation where uh, a victim will be available to make his or her own testimony that will be captured to support uh, the action or to support the hate crime or hate speech that has been uh, committed against them. Um, and then we also made submission on section six on penalties and orders. Comsa is concerned about the lack of clarification on which law this bill is trying to support or amend. For example, two laws are spelled out as Criminal Procedures Act and only one section, uh, 276, is quoted and section 51 of the Criminal Law Amendment Act of 1997. So Comsa is making submission so that it can clarify in terms of which laws this bill is actually um, 
asset him to and is going to be supporting in terms of uh, enhancing the protection uh, of all the individuals who are in South Africa when it comes to issues of hate speech and hate crimes that will be committed against them. Uh, there is a further confusion that the bill on Section 6A indicates that the court sentencing the person considering appropriate and which is within that court's penal jurisdiction. This statement still leaves it open for sentencing court to decide which law to use in sentencing the perpetrators. So Comsa is making this submission to the to the uh, committee to for so that this bill can clarify and give direction in terms of which law will be used uh, in supporting the implementation of this bill. Um, we also made this following submission on section seven on directive. Comsa welcomes this proposed section and pre uh, proposes that the duration of expecting the directive should be between eight to 12 weeks, which approximately reads between 60 to 90 days uh, reasonable so. Section 9, Prevention of the Hate Crimes and Hate Speech. It is difficult for COMSA to accept this section uh, and its subsection on a number of issues and content contained in this section. And some of those uh, sections and issues, we have raised them on our return submission that we'll be happy to share uh, with the Portfolio Committee to consider why we are saying it is difficult for us to accept this section. For example, subsec uh, subsection 1, this section generalizes the state as responsible and therefore fails to indicate specifically on which level of the state will intervene and what ministry will be engaging uh, the bill. And we also want this to be applicable to the subsection two, uh, uh, to section two and, and, and one. Um, what, when I'm finishing on section nine, subsection three, which proposes that judicial officer, officers for the purposes of uh, presiding in court proceeding, COMSA is against the view that training should be for judicial officers only for the purposes of this act. COMSA proposes that this training should be escalated to the chapter nine institution, decision makers, officers, and prosecutors not leaving out the South African police services so that they can be uh, capacitated and empowered to be able to implement uh, this bill and its regulation and its sections. Um, still on section nine, subsection three, COMSA requests the meaning of the social context training to be clarified or defined on the bill for the purposes of this bill and interpretation during the implementation of this bill. Because leaving it out as being social context training, it does not provide the indication in which context the bill is referring to. Our last slide, COMSA submission on, uh, on section 10 uh, regulation. COMSA proposes the removal of May to stick to on must for the section to read, the cabinet members responsible for the administration of the justice must, where applicable, make regulation regarding any matter which is required and permitted by this act to be prescribed by regulation or any other matter which is necessary or expedient to prescribe, to prescribe in order to achieve the objective of this act. So these are some of the submissions that we thought we should come and make oral submission based uh, on what we have submitted through our return submission. Uh, I thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Komsa. Uh, members, are there any questions? 
to console. And now questions. Thank you very much. Uh, your inputs would be considered when we go through the bill, when we do close by close, we would consider every submission that was made before us. Uh, thank you very much for taking time and efforts to enrich the process of lawmaking in our country. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you very much. Members, can we have a 10 minutes break and nine minutes break and come back at 10 uh, to answer the call of nature and, and just uh, have tea. Thank you very much. Let's come back at now at 10. We are left with two organiz three organizations now. Uh, I hope um, Association of Christian Media is here and Campaign for Free Expression is here in Afrofora. Thank you. Um, good day, members. Good day to the presenters. Um, the next presenters, can you please check the chat? I've been sending you messages on the chat uh, with emails so that you can email us our presentations. Can you check the chat? The next three presenters from Afroforum. Um, Professor Haba, I've already received yours. Thank you. Mr. Rosenthal, um, I'll give you permission to share. Can you test if you are able to share your presentation now so that we, when you're called upon, you just share? Mr. Philip? <clears throat> you are muted, sir. You are muted. You are still muted, sir. Sorry, okay, I'm here. You oh, can, okay. see, can see me now? Yes, um, I can see you. I've already given you permission okay. to share. Can you test? There we go. Can you see that? No, not yet. Can you test? Maybe double click on the document. Okay. Um, okay, yes. Sorry, I must, um, yes, I've double, I've got the, a document open, but I am now going to go there to sharing. Go. Um, and uh, okay, so I'm. That is the uh, the f uh, the first slide. Is that that all okay? Yes, that's good. You can remove it now, and you'll just um, um upload it when you are called upon. Can you do me a favor? I've 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 already on the chat. I've already. Yeah. Um, if you can drop the presentation on the chat. Or you can email me because I've already um, um sent you my email address on the chat. Can you? Yeah. Okay. But could I do that after the presentation because we've got uh, it's only one minute or something to, until we're st starting. 
Um, no, we're starting at 10. We've got five minutes. We're starting um, at 10. Because okay. I would like members to have it uh, on their devices, some of the members. If, if, if that's not okay. too much to I ask. Will, okay, I, I, will, I will try and uh, copy this, uh, sorry, on, on the chat. Um, the, uh, uh, if uh, you can um, just excuse my um, yeah. technical no. learning how to do this. No, no, no. I understand you fully. Hence, I'm taking the break to 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 take you through it. Okay. Um, you can remove it for now. No, no, no. Fine. I'm sorry. I've just um uh sorry. Excuse me, but I'm uh just um I'm just uh, sort of my screen is now sort of minimized, and I'm just struggling to get it back again so that I can see everything. Um, um, sorry, can I stop sharing because then I think yes, that yes, might yes, make it do easier. That. Yes, do that. Uh, yes, I think yes. it doesn't. It doesn't doesn't allow you to share on the chat plus. Uh, yes, do yes, the yes. Thing at the same time. Um, yes. So we can just um, copy and paste it on the chat. Then I'll get it from there, which is easier. And then you'll only upload when the chair calls upon you. The you'll only share the presentation when the chair calls. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay, but if you can just, it, I would uh, prefer to do this afterwards because I. No problem, I'm, sir. It's fine. Okay. Let's let's do I, it afterwards. Because I seem to have, I, I'm just having a little bit of technical difficulty. Um. Okay. Uh, there we go. And I would, yeah, I would rather have the, um, um, is this sharing everything that I'm doing or is it, uh, is it stopped now? No, you are safe. We can't see your screen. Okay. Okay, I've shared that on the trash chat directly to you. Should I share that to everybody else as well? Hmm? Oh, you may, it's fine, but I have it. I'll send it to members. Thanks. Okay. Um, okay. I think, um, yeah, you must just... Um, Unmute. You are muted, sir. You are muted. Yeah, I don't understand why 
No, you, you're fine now. Yeah, okay. Um, we'll then wait for the chair just to call uh, I'm sure we just left with one minute now and you will then share the presentation. Thanks, sir. Thank you. And for the Association of Christian Media, uh, you are welcome. Uh, you have 20 minutes to make your presentation. Okay, great. I'm going to start off firstly by just outlining our, our concerns and position. Then I'm going to go into some case examples of how uh, hate speech can be wrongly used and people can be accused of hate speech who are in fact not guilty at all. And I'll give some case examples. And while I'm doing that, I would like everybody who's listening to think about whether you might one day be accused of wrongly accused of hate speech under this legislation. Um, the risk is with this, uh, with this proposal to criminalize hate speech with a very broad definition that um, people might be made to be afraid to speak up with their opinions when in fact it's not hate speech at all. Now, just to introduce the Association of Christian Media. It's a group of 70 organizations, which includes about 30 community radio stations, um, some television and uh, magazines. And uh, the, on, on, in this media, there are many different uh, varying opinions that are expressed. And they would also make space for people who hold opposite viewpoints to the uh, even the, the radio station themselves uh, to facilitate public debate. 
And this, uh, there can be examples of this that I'll mention in future, but this debate might be suppressed by the risk that somebody might be accused of hate speech. Uh, now, to go firstly into the case examples, and I'm going to be giving uh, a, some slides. Um, this is a, an example. These are current case examples. This is not stuff that happened long time ago. Uh, this is a, a person who is a feminist activist in England who put up a, a billboard giving the dictionary definition of a woman. And she was then accused of hate speech. She was interrogated by the police and the billboard company accepting this allegation took down all of her uh, billboards. Um, so she was then silenced from giving that opinion. Now, we're not, this is not a particularly Christian uh, opinion, but we have entirely opposite opinions, which are also being silenced. Now, we have a, a case which happened in Durban earlier this year where a street evangelist, and on your right uh, is a picture of him from the screenshot of where he was accused, uh, was preaching in the street, and he somebody took a social media uh, video of him and posted it on the internet uh, where he was trying to persuade uh, Indi other Indians to convert from Hinduism to Christianity. He argued that Jesus was greater than the Hindu gods. Um, it he was then accused of saying that... Uh, wrongly accused of saying that Christians were better than Hindus, and then that was considered to be hate speech. And so that the uh, a Hindu interest group sued him for a million rands damages. He was forced to expend uh, money and stress on a court case. Um, thankfully, the thing was settled out of court after it had gone to court. Uh, but this then would really um, put a damper and a chilling effect on people expressing those opinions, which I think are part of our, our fair religious discussion. Now, here, here's one that's, I think, uh, closer to home, which is a Finny, Finnish uh, MP, Pavi Ransonen, who is currently on trial for criminal hate speech uh, for posting uh, a, um, a, a social media post of a Bible verse I put the English translation in the middle. There's a picture of her there. And she, on the uh, right-hand side, is the actual screenshot of what she posted, just so you can see it's the same. Um, but uh, this, uh, she was entering into a social media debate, but then uh, the national prosecutor decided to prosecute the member of parliament. And that is, this has now been ongoing for about six months. Uh, they're wanting to fine her six months of salary and possibly even a prison sentence uh, for something that uh, to me is not hate speech at all. That is uh, just a Bible verse. Um, but they would like to, certain interest groups who've got political power would like to shut down any kind of uh, religious debate on these issues. Um, so <clears throat> this is something really that uh, we, we haven't seen in Europe maybe since uh, the uh, fascist era of the Second World War, um, but is now coming back where people are really being punished for their, uh, what they are saying. Uh, just another thing, uh, issue, example that happened uh, just very recently uh, is American politician who is a biological male who uh, presents himself as a, as a female. Uh, an American magazine nominated him as Woman of the Year and another satirical 
uh, <coughs> a website nominated them then as man of the year, and this was then accused of hate speech. Um, we've had other um, examples uh, that I would, um, uh, also many other examples that I've experienced, but I've just put uh, these uh, examples just so that we can uh, see that these um, <coughs> issues are uh, not uh, just uh, the genuine hate speech that uh, we, where people are willfully intending to, <coughs> uh, to harm other people. Um, now, we've got a situation where there is a raft of legislation that is in process at the moment. Some of it's been passed and some of it's in the pipeline, uh, which uh, if all of this was passed as it is at the moment, would drastically reduce the opportunity for free speech in this country and I think push it closer to a situation like China or Russia or Saudi Arabia where you need to say the things only that are aligned with the people in power and uh, to try and uh, protect yourself against those risks. And this would drastically cut down uh, community radio, commu uh, freedom of the press, if <clears throat> these uh, all of these things were passed as is. Now, we would argue that this, this hate speech legislation is unnecessary because there is other existing multiple pieces of legislation that you can deal use to deal with hate speech. We've got the Incitement Act, Criminal Endurer, uh, harassment Act, the Equality Act, defamation law, um, <clears throat> the underlying criminal uh, acts of if somebody commits murder or violence, there are laws that punish that. There are codes of conducts. We have the Film and Publication Bill. Uh, so there are many vehicles to to prosecute these things. But this is, I believe, similar to a, a nuclear attack where you can really destroy both hate speech and legitimate speech at the same time, and we, we don't want that. Uh, I also believe that this is this proposal, as it stands, is not constitutional uh, because, and that's been confirmed by the recent uh, Kualani judgment. The very subtle um, <clears throat> changes in wording that can have an enormous impact in terms of what is uh, what happens on the ground, and I think that the there are four basic. Uh, words that are important that we have to see here, but the way that those words are combined together into law can make a huge difference as to whether legitimate speech is captured or whether legitimate speech is not captured. So I'm going to go through very quickly just the meaning of some of those words and uh, how it makes a difference how you put them together. Uh, the first is advocacy. That infers an intention and uh, usually an ongoing uh, campaign to push a particular viewpoint. That is not an accidental uh, statement. The second thing is hatred. That is something which is not just an expression of an opinion, um, but uh, so, something that has malice. Um, then there is incitement to cause harm, uh, which is trying to motivate other people to harm uh, other people. And normally, the assumption is that that would be physical harm, and that can be uh, very dangerous if somebody is uh, inciting other people to harm other people. Uh, then there is the question of harm, which is broader because that can be the, uh, the harm that somebody perceives the words do to them. So they, that, now the danger there is that so, simply because somebody is offended by what is said, they can say, well, I'm being psychologically harmed by that. And then that becomes very dangerous. Now, if that is 
criminally prosecuted, then people are going to be much more careful about what they are going to say, and that can shut down real debate. But <clears throat> the, the, having said these four issues, the question is how they are combined together. And <clears throat> uh, Section uh, 41A in this Hate Speech Bill is saying that you need uh, <clears throat> the, the first one, advocacy, hatred, or you need incitement uh, to cause harm. Now, the Kualani judgment said you need both in order to make it uh, a, an offense just as uh, a civil offense, but this is a criminal offense, so the threshold should be narrower, and uh, <clears throat> so it, it has to be an and, not an or, uh, if one's going to have that. Now, there are then in Section uh, 4.2 uh, a number of exceptions where there's a positive attempt to uh, open the door for um, religious uh, scientific statements, uh, which would reduce the harm that this bill would do and reduce the risk. But they then have qualifiers to on each of those, uh, such as, for example, they would say, uh, to the extent that such interpretation or proselytization does not advocate hatred that constitutes incitement to cause harm. So the thing is now, if you put an and at the beginning there, that statement becomes completely meaningless and unnecessary, except to water down what has already been said. So I, I would say first, the first option is to not pass this bill, remove it altogether. But if one <coughs> is going to uh, have this bill, then we must make the 4-1 uh, A into an and, and we must also remove this uh, exception to the extent because it's unnecessary and it would be then a circular reference and leave the judge confused as to what uh, is um, is meant here. So, and that I would say also in terms of uh, 2A, which is artistic creativity, um, now, the other issue which, is, which I would just raise, which is um, concerning, is that a number of <coughs> presenters have referenced the Yoga Kata principles as international law, which Parliament is somehow obliged to follow. Now, firstly, that is not international law. Yoga Kata was simply an NGO conference of like-minded NGOs who got together and had a discussion. It has no status at the United Nations, neither has it been ratified by uh, the S South African Parliament. And so that is entirely misleading to say that South Africa must now abide by that. There's also multiple things in international law which are balancing uh, to this whole issue of, of hate crimes. There's uh, statements protecting the family, there's statements protecting free speech, and if you take these all in a balanced way, you come out with something that is very similar, similar to what we already have in the definition of unprotected speech in the Constitution, Section 16. And that is what we would support as a, a, a correct definition of uh, hate speech uh, and not go further than that. Then there's also the categories of, uh, of all the different uh, <clears throat> sort of victim categories which can be classified as as hate speech. Um, I would say that this is very confusing having uh, two lists in the same bill um, and a different list in the constitution and it's not clear always why one thing is in one list 
and not in another list, I would argue stick with the list that is in the Constitution that was thought through very carefully, and it's based on international precedent. Um, the difficulty with making um, <clears throat> a broad list, and I was shuddered to hear the suggestion of an open-ended list, which I would concur with the Department of Justice is, is not uh, in the principle of legality, um, is that anybody who has a particular viewpoint can then start to frame themselves as a, as a victim and say, well, I'm being victimized by the people who have an opposite opinion when it's not hate speech at all, and then try and bring in the threat of criminal sanctions. And without this thing going to court, most people, nine out of 10 people given a threat are going to back down without the need for the thing to go to court. It's, it's an enormous uh, it, cost and emotional toll to actually go through with a court process and nine out of 10 will just, people will just back, back down. This will have a chilling effect on free speech. So we would argue this, this is just entirely unnecessary. Uh, this uh, opening up with all these other categories is an experiment that can open the door for every uh, NGO that has a particular uh, interest to attack some other group that it doesn't agree with and accuse them of hate speech. And the most aggressive people are going to win in this fight. So uh, we would argue that this, <coughs> um, this needs to be uh, preferably scrapped altogether. But if <coughs> it is kept, then we need to uh, put in that uh, and instead of an or in section uh, 4.1 and then in section 4.2, the, the qualifiers need to be removed. Uh, I've also heard senior politician interpret this uh, in such a way as the, the, the religious ex exception would only apply to things said in church. Now, that would uh, that I don't agree with as a correct interpretation of this thing because it talks about proselytization. But the very fact that he's suggesting that means that he could threaten somebody, uh, they could be prosecuted, and <clears throat> then they have to go through five years of court process or, or, and appeals before finally the Constitutional Court says, no, uh, that was a wrong interpretation by the D Department of Justice. Uh, meanwhile, you know, a million rands means expended if the person has the money, but if he doesn't have the money, then uh, he's uh, can be wrongfully found guilty or intimidated. So I think that the the the, uh, the bill as it is at the moment is very dangerous, and it's uh, <clears throat> it's also concerning uh, this uh, talk about uh, sensitivity training um, that is many times being used in other countries and other places and in our universities as an attempt to force people to change their opinions. Um, and uh, I can give case examples that have happened just recently in our local universities. People have been threatened with their careers. And um, if they don't retract uh, opinions, say, for example, uh, somebody expressed an opinion that a man should be ahead of the household and he's then accused of hate speech against women, um, which clearly he wasn't. But that was interpreted. Okay. So, um, so my my call is either scrap this bill altogether or uh, tighten it up uh, with a shorter list uh, in line with the constitution and much narrower definition of what is hate speech. Uh, but I don't see a need for this at all, and I think it can have a, a very detrimental effect on public debate. Um, another case example: I was uh, I had participated in a radio debate against. 
uh, a person who was arguing that the Bible promotes racism and that black people are inferior. That was hosted on uh, an Association of Christian Media statement. It's still on the internet if you want to listen to it. But we had a successful debate and we felt that was uh, helpful uh, in proving that point. Uh, but, uh, you know, with this legislation, just the person who communicates uh, these uh, views and giving space for debate um, then could be prosecuted, not only the person who says it, and that uh, to me is is unhealthy. Um, and we should uh, we should try and have debate open as much as possible, uh, short of actual real uh, incitement to violence or harm, uh, which is um, <clears throat> something which is already covered by other legislation. So maybe we can go to questions. Thank you very much. There is an echo on your side. Um, sorry. Okay, sorry. Can, is that a, can people hear me or is it a problem? Uh, when I speak, I could hear myself, but now it's fine. Okay, Thank you sorry. very much. Thank you very much, members. Uh, any questions to Mr. Rosenthal or comments? Uh, none. Thank you very much, Mr. Rosenthal, for contributing to our legislative drafting. Um, all views will be taken into consideration when the bill is uh, dealt with clause by clause. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's look at the next organization. A campaign for free expression. Is it on the platform? Thank you very much. I am here. Thank um, you. But I am... Just, oh, um, I, thank you. It seems I can now share my screen. Let me try. Um, sorry, I'm having trouble sharing my screen. Let's give you a minute to do that. It's um, not letting me, it says I don't have permission. Can you um, give him permission to able his screen? Yes, Chair. The prof has um, permission. Can you when you when you share prof double click on the on the selected um presentation? Okay, I'm getting in now, yes. Yes, now we can see. You can see it. Yes, but uh, it yes, now it's fine. Okay, can I proceed? Yes, welcome, Professor Haba. Thank you very much, and thank you. I'm grateful for the opportunity to address this bill, an important bill and uh, something we thought about a great deal. So thank you. Yeah, um, let me just start by saying CFE, the Campaign for Free Expression, um, is a new um, registered uh, public benefit organization, nonprofit body, with a very clear focus to defend and expand the right to free expression for all in Southern Africa. That's our focus, free expression. 
We independent body, fiercely nonpartisan. Let me say that um, with me today in the room um, are our legal representatives, Carol Steinberg, who's also um, a member of our board, um, and Daria Milo. Um, uh, just by way of introduction, the other members of our board are uh, Tawana Kupe, uh, Ismail Mohammed, and um, Arjun Basson. Um, I think my colleague Ceci Makantisi and Margaret Zulu are also joining us in the room, so thank you. Um, I want to say uh, up front that we agree with Parliament that it's necessary to tackle the scourge of hate speech. Um, we, we are with them on that. Uh, what we want to discuss and raise issues about is the most effective way in which to do that. So we're with you on the basic principle of we have to deal and confront uh, hate speech, um, uh, but how we do it is a, is a question I think uh, that's up for discussion. Um, I'm going to start by just looking at, at, at David Irving as an illustration of our critical points. David Irving was an anti-Semite and Holocaust denier, British, um, who was um, prosecuted for hate speech, for Holocaust denial and anti-Semitism in a number of countries. The effect of his prosecution was not to stop him speaking, um, but, and, and he, was, he was convicted and jailed, um, but he became an international martyr and celebrity of right-wing causes. So in many ways, the prosecution backfired and uh, gave a wider platform to his views um, in, in a very worrying way. Um, the other case I want to talk about is in the criminalization of uh, many kinds of speech under apartheid. Um, what you're looking at is um, copies of my own, uh, the newspaper I uh, edited at the time, the Weekly Mail, um, and you're looking at editions that were banned or led to prosecution of the newspaper. Um, and, you know, those prosecutions gave us a national and international platform. Um, and I think we all know um, that nothing promoted the circulation, for example, of ANC literature more than the criminalization of the ownership of that literature. And when it was banned, it was passed around even more actively and energetically. It pushed up the value of, of that information. And uh, so this is the cautionary background um, I want us to take in mind. Our basic position we want to argue today is that we abhor hate speech and we welcome appropriate measures to prevent and counter it. Um, but we don't believe it's productive or effective to criminalize hate speech. And this is the issue we wish to address. Why we shouldn't criminalize hate speech. As I've said, the apartheid regime was infamous for criminalizing speech and prosecuting many people for having banned documents, for saying things that uh, they didn't want said. And I would argue it had the opposite effect of what was intended. It meant that ANC literature, for example, was passed around, that people sat up to listen to Radio Freedom. 
Um, I know that our newspaper, when um, they banned it, um, copies were in huge demand and sometimes our sales even went up. Um, and that's the nature of the way, the way criminalization often works. And I think experience around the world, and I've given um, the example of the banning of Nazi propaganda in Germany, shows that criminaliza criminalization often gives those who prosecuted fame, attention, and celebrity status. Um, on my presentation, I've marked the paragraphs I'm referring to um, with much fuller detail in our submission, just for reference sake. Um, so our view is that criminalizing speech will force it underground and in fact encourage um, some people to spread it illegally, and we should be careful of that. But there's another critical point, which I think has been made this morning already, that there are already less restrictive means to deal effectively with hate speech in our law, both in our criminal and our civil law. We saw in the Kwilani case that the Equality Act was effective in dealing with hate speech. In the Penny Sparrow and uh, other cases, um, we saw crime and injuria successfully used um, um, to deal uh, with hate speech. And there's also been cases uh, in the use of incitement um, to deal with uh, problematic uh, speech of the sort. Um, and unused and can also be used, uh, we believe, are the criminal, criminal charges against assault, uh, which could include um, verbal assault. Um, such as hate speech. And I think a very important thing is that clause three of the bill we're looking at today bolsters these laws in that it's, it deems that if any crime is committed uh, with a hate motivation, then um, it's treated as more serious by the courts and penalties will be larger. And this is a move we support. We want to say that we are strongly in support of clause three, because uh, we think that strengthens the existing law um, that deals with hate speech, um, and that is a good thing. And so uh, we, we argue that clause four is not necessary to curb hate speech and should be scrapped. But we would say that if it's not scrapped, then it is important um, that it be narrowed down to target only the most extreme expressions of hate speech. And I think those are best defined by what the constitution in 16.1 um, deems, and 16.2 deems unworthy of protection. Um, um, there are other serious flaws in the bill that um, um, I think must be mentioned. Um, uh, and particularly they relate, they, they relate to whether one's criminalizing um, um, the hate speech, because if one isn't criminalizing, as in the Equality Bill, um, uh, where you're looking towards other restorative justice and other measures, um, then, the, then the legal requirements are different. Um, but here we have such a wide spectrum of speech that we don't believe it would stand constitutional scrutiny if it's criminalized. As I said, maybe appropriate in the Equality Act, um, but not in a law that threatens prison. That it, it is required that we have a have a, have a narrow view of serious hate crime. Um, 
The bill also imposes liability for hate speech without the accused having to have a guilty mind. Um, clause 4.2.42C, which deals with this, um, is, I think, confusing and needs clarification because it appears to require that you have an intention to publish, but it's not clear that you need an intention to cause harm or to spread hate speech. And that uh, needs to be clarified, I believe, because otherwise, without intention, um, uh, it would go against one of the core principles of our criminal law, that to commit a crime, you have to have intention. Couple of other flaws in the bill. The offense for sharing and distributing 41C um, hate speech is, is, is worryingly broad. Um, and I think this is illustrated by saying that one could be prosecuted even if one shares hate speech in order to expose it. Uh, and one's reminded that in the Penny Sparrow and Adam uh, Katzavellos cases, they were exposed by others who shared their racist material but didn't condone it. So I think it's got to be clear that if you don't do it to spread hate speech, you do it to condone it, you just uh, not to condone it, to, to expose it, etc., cetera, um, that you shouldn't be subject to, uh, to um, possible criminal action because clearly we want people to um, expose hate speech um, where it's up on social media in particular. Section 42C makes an exception for the publication of, in, makes, there's a number of exceptions, uh, but this one is for the publication of any information, commentary, advertisement, or notice um, in accordance with Section 161 of the Constitution. And my concern is, our concern is that, that this is circular. It is an, uh, it, it's saying that, it, that, it's, that there's an exception if it's in accordance with the Constitution, uh, and it's in accordance with the Constitution if it's in accordance with the Constitution. So I think that needs uh, fixing and clarification and some attention. So I hope I've been brief. My conclusion, very simply, is that we welcome Clause 3 of the bill, which makes hatred an aggravating factor in any crime. Um, we state strongly that we want to see firm action to stop um, hate speech, uh, but we do not believe we need Clause 4. It's already adequately dealt with in other civil and criminal um, uh, law. And um, in fact, we believe that putting it there um, will slow down and impede the approval and the constitutional court stamp um, on this legislation. Um, we do not believe, as it stands at the moment, this bill would pass the constitutional test. Um, thank you very much. Uh, we go into this in more legal detail in our submission. Uh, but I uh, welcome the opportunity to take questions and clarify um, anything um, uh, we have dealt with. Thank you very much, Professor Haber. Uh, members, are there any questions on pro uh, to Professor Haber and his team? Uh, none. Um, 
No, thank you very much, uh, Professor Haber, uh, for contributing to to the, no, to the legislative drafting. Um, we would be taking all the issues that have been raised by yourself and other presenters that have uh, raised issues before. When we deal with the bill clause by clause, we will still revisit some of the issues that were raised, which I think are very important. So none, none whatsoever uh, would be lost. Um, after this process, we are still going to have a, a session where we would be responding, but the department will be responding to each presentation that was made. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Haber. Um, uh, after forum. Uh, yes, uh, I'm, uh, I'm ready to uh, do my presentation. Thank you. Uh, you have 20 minutes. Uh, welcome, uh, Mr. Fanzei. Uh, you have 20 minutes to do your presentation. All right. Uh, may I start, uh, Chairperson? Yes, please. All right. Uh, good morning to everyone, and uh, thank you for the opportunity, firstly, to uh, and the platform to for Afri Forum to give our comments uh, on the uh, on this bill. So, uh, just uh, some quick admin out of the way. Uh, I am Adams Van Sale. I'm campaign officer for strategy and content at Afri Forum. And uh, this will be AfriForum's response uh, to the proposed prevention and combating of hate crimes and hate speech bill, uh, which we also submitted a written commentary on. So firstly, as a civil rights organization, AfriForum supports the imposing of sanctions on actual hate speech, which contains incitement to violence, as limited by the constitution within its parameters. However, the proposed prevention and combating of hate crimes and hate speech bill uh, distorts the ordinary meaning of the term hate speech if passed into law, and it will effectively criminalize constitutionally protective speech. That is what AfriForum is worried about, and that's our key concern that we also voiced at the previous opportunity when this bill was also being uh, put under consideration. Our submission will demonstrate that the bill infringes on the rights of freedom of expression and therefore cannot pass uh, in its current form because it doesn't live up to constitutional muster. Within the context of public policy, there are four main reasons why freedom of expression is so valuable. And I think that's what uh, I want to lay out first before we get into the bill itself, because this is in the end uh, uh, inherently uh, uh, matter regarding freedom of expression and therefore we need to make sure we got the fundamentals right and have the, our foundation laid uh, for why freedom of expression is so important. So just quickly, the four reasons why, as AfriForum identified, is that firstly, it aids us in the search for truth. Secondly, it is vital for the functioning of a democracy. Third, it enhances moral agency. And fourth, it instills tolerance. Uh, I will now elaborate on each. Firstly, the matter of truth. Allowing the free dissemination of beliefs, opinions, and other forms of expression brings immense benefits for society and for individuals. It allows for intellectual, cultural, and scientific progress while provoking discussion and aiding the search for truth. 
since we all make mistakes and are fallible, we cannot know with certainty that a particular opinion is false. What we uh, when we suppress opinions that are believed to be false, we risk missing out on finding the actual truth if we are mistaken in that regard. If we stifle beliefs that are different from our own, we lose the opportunity to change, reconsider, and perhaps reaffirm our own views. Next, the matter of democracy. Freedom of expression is the cornerstone of a functioning democratic state. It exposes people to opposing viewpoints and allows them to make informed and legitimate discussion, uh, decisions about their political and private lives. Your right to freedom of speech also enables you and others to defend you and your uh, and others' rights if they are under attack. Without it, you are silent. Freedom of, uh, freedom of expression is therefore crucial to any constitutional order, seeing as without it, you can't really stand up for any of your other rights, uh, seeing as you will not have your, your, your speech to do it. The matter of agency. Next, uh, the legal philosopher Ronald Dworkin wrote, and I quote, morally responsible people insist on making up their own minds about what is good or bad in, in life or in politics, or what is true or false in matters of justice and faith. Government insults its citizens and denies their moral responsibility when it decrees that they cannot be trusted to hear opinions that might persuade them to uh, dangerous or offensive convictions. We retain our dignity as individuals only by insisting that no one, no official, no majority has the right to withhold an opinion from us on the ground that we are not fit to hear or consider it. And that is the end of that quote. When people are exposed to a range of conflicting opinions on a subject, they are given the opportunity to exercise their rational faculties and to weigh up the arguments on both sides and to form their own view on the matter. Societies that allow for a broad selection of opinions create an environment that strengthens people's analytical skills and trains them to question the views that are presented to them and not just accept them all by default as fact. Next, the matter of tolerance. In the case of the SANDU versus the Minister of Defense and another, the Constitutional Court held that, and I quote, the corollary of freedom of expression and its related rights is tolerance by society of different views. Tolerance, of course, does not require appro approbation of a particular view. In essence, it requires the acceptance of the public airing of disagreements and the refusal to silence unpopular views. In a seminal paper on the dangers of suppressing hateful speech, Denise Mayerson wrote, and I quote, to, uh, and this is actually a sentiment that was expressed uh, earlier in one of the presentations, I quote, to drive an evil view underground can actually increase its strength, whereas to debate it out in the open is more likely to bring home its abhorrent nature. It is precisely those who, after all, believe there is a truth about the awfulness of racism, who should be optimistic about the power of debate and argument to demonstrate that truth. They come to their views by reason, and since they do not believe themselves to be intellectually superior, should trust in reason rather than the police force as the better weapon against falsehood. It is only too easy for censorship laws to be put to different uses for those originally intended, and if we are happy for them to be deployed in one way, we make it much easier for them to be deployed in another, more frightening way. Later. And the final consideration here is that to the extent that racial animosities will continue to plague us, it is better to let them be played up at the level of words rather than to be bottled, uh, have them bottled up, therefore not only increasing their virulence, but also making more likely a more dangerous kind of discharge. 
Forced as we are to weigh up evils here, we should therefore conclude that tolerance is more beneficial than costly, end quote. Uh, now moving on to the details of the bill itself. So firstly, the, the bill's definition of harm. Section one of the bill states, harm means any emotional, psychological, physical, social, or economic harm. Now, firstly, when it comes to emotional harm, uh, a host of words can make people feel a range of emotions, such as anger, uh, fear, anxiety, disgust, sadness, shock, and the list goes on. Emotional harms are felt subjectively and they tend to be fleeting. Uh, and the case of Moyu versus Minister of Justice and Constitutional Development and others, and Masuku and another versus South African Human Rights Commission, over South African Jewish Board of Deputies, make it clear that speech that provokes strong emotional responses or even instills fear is protected speech. Uh, that is what the conclusion uh, of that court of those court cases were, and therefore mere emotional harm is the wrong standard. Secondly, social harm. Unlike psychological, physical, and economic harm, the term social harm is a nebulous concept and may cover a range of yet-to-be-determined harms. Since its scope is unknown, it should be removed from the definition uh, used in the bill. Next, the bill's definition of hate speech. Uh, section 4 of the bill states that 1a, any person who intentionally publishes, propagates, or advocates anything or communicates to one or more persons in a manner that could reasonably construe to demonstrate a clear intention to, one, be harmful or to incite harm, or two, promote or propagate hatred, or three, uh, based on one or more of the following grounds, and the bill then outlines an extensive list um, that uh, I think everyone here is aware of. Uh, so, on that matter of hate speech, the constitutional standard regarding hate speech is that, is that of freedom of speech that does not extend to the advocacy of hatred that is based on race, ethnicity, gender, or religion, and which does not constitute incitement to violence or to cause harm. According to the bill, however, the mere propagation of hatred is, uh, or harm is sufficient for the speech to be regarded as hate speech. Another problem, and that is problematic. Another problem, as noted before, is that the word harm is defined in the bill as including emotional harm and social harm. Furthermore, the grounds on which hate speech can be committed according to the bill are far too reaching and includes age, for example. The consequence of that means that mocking someone based on their age or using an, ex using an expression like calling someone an old fart or an old fool could amount to a criminal offense, pun uh, offense punishable by three years in jail. Con the conjunctive test is the next thing that I want to touch on. In the Kualani versus South African Human Rights Commission and another, the court settled a long-standing debate about whether the provisions of Section 10, no, number one, of the Peputa ought to be read conjunctively or disjunctively. The court determined that they must be read conjunctively. This means that if it, it would be unconstitutional to use the word or between Sections 4, 1, one Roman numeral and two Roman numeral of the bill. It is, it is a necessary requirement to use the word and between these sections uh, based on that case of Kulani versus the South African Human Rights Commission and another. The next uh, point that I want to touch on is listed grounds. The constitution limits the specific grounds for hate speech to race, ethnicity, gender, and religion. 
Further grounds are listed in the equality clause, which supports the view that the Constitution delib and this supports the view that the Constitution deliberately limits hate speech to the four listed grounds of race, ethnicity, gender, and religion. To add further grounds with, without infringing on the rights of free speech, the bill can be appropriately modified by including them under the correct threshold, uh, as stipulated by the Constitution. The grounds on which hate speech can be committed according to the bill is therefore too far-reaching and includes uh, many factors like, for example, age that open many problematic scenarios. Incitement to cause harm is the next point that I want to touch on. The ordinary meaning of the phrase incitement to cause harm suggests that one should not look to the harm caused by the speech itself, but rather to the impact of the speech on third parties, i.e. does the speech encourage, stimulate or call others to cause harm. Next, uh, AfriForum's presentation is not just critical of the bill and uh, just listing things that we think are problematic about the bill. We also have recommendations uh, on what can be done. So given the, uh, that the bill introduces criminal sanctions, there is less room to limit the right to freedom of expression than may be allowable under Perpuda. A legitimate purpose of the bill would be to protect people from imminent violence and incitement to cause harm. This can be achieved without unduly infringing the right to freedom of expression by using the limitations set out in section six, uh, 16, uh, uh, section 2 uh, of the Constitution to define hate speech. Further recommendations can be found uh, in AfriForum's written submission. Um, there's a, a further longer list there, but for the uh, purposes of time, uh, I can't go into all of it. So therefore, uh, in conclusion, uh, it is evident that the costs of adopting the definitions of harm and hate speech that are proposed by the bill would be heavy. It's also unclear whether there would be any benefit in doing so. As Judge Barker once said, and I quote, to deny free speech to engineer to deny free speech to engineer social change in the hope of accomplishing a greater good for one section of our society erodes the freedoms of all." End quote. We, we began by drawing a distinction between actual hate speech, which is constitutionally unprotected speech that incites harm or violence against vulnerable groups, and hate speech as defined by the bill, which prohibits, uh, which prohibits protected speech, speech that we, would be protected under the constitution. Next, we examine the importance of the right to freedom of expression by demonstrating its role in a functioning democracy, the search for truth, and personal development for citizens. We argue that the pro uh, prohibition in the bill is a severe infringement on the right, on this right, because of the penalty that it imposes and uh, perturbing effect it has on freedom of expression. We proceeded to argue that the state can take less restrictive measures by, one, changing the definitions of harm and hate speech, that are used in the bill to render it constitutional. Second, addressing the problem of arbitrary persecution under the bill. And third, and lastly, using restorative justice measures to deal with most instances of hate speech and reserving imprisonment for cases where the targeted personal group of people suffered actual harm as a result of being incited, of that being incited against them. So that's the short version of uh, AfriForum's uh, recommendations in our written commentary. This bill in its current form will be unconstitutional if passed. And I think that's something that needs that has been uh, noted by uh, many of the speakers that came before me. Uh, but it is a very important point that if this bill were to be passed uh, in its current form, it would be, uh, and as the Quilani case shows, the Constitutional Court will strike down this bill immediately. 
uh, therefore it, it needs to be uh, very uh, needs to be reconsidered in earnest. Uh, legislation should not be applied to protect and final thoughts uh, on this. Uh, legislation should not be applied to protect people from speech or symbols that are merely offensive because the spectrum of, uh, of that which people fi may find offensive is almost endless. Debates over freedom of speech and freedom of expression are inherently controversial in nature, as the right to freedom of speech is entrenched to protect speech that some people or governments might find offensive and speech uh, which they may not like. If freedom of, uh, of speech protected only speech that was popular and speech that everyone liked, it would not be necessary for the Constitution to protect it in the first place. Um, thank you very much for the, for the opportunity, and uh, that is the, the entirety of AfriForum's oral submission. Uh, thank you, and uh, have a nice day. If there are any questions, I will gladly answer them. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Fanzel. Uh, honorable members, any questions or comments? Honorable Nola. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Uh, of course, uh, let us um, thank uh, the Afri Forum for having taken effort to come and echo its views in the development of this bill. The presenter correctly makes mention of uh, Section 16, subsection 2 of the Constitution, which says the right in subsection 1, which is the freedom of expression, does not extend to. We skip others, we go to paragraph C. Does not extend to advocacy of hatred that is based on race. Now, the question that I want to pose is very short like this, Chair. Do you consider racism as a crime, as a hate crime? Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Moela. Any other questions or comments? Sinan, uh, uh, Mr. Fanzi. All right. Uh, yeah, to, to answer that question, as I understand the definition of a hate crime, if it is a crime committed against someone and that crime is also motivated by racial hatred, uh, then of course uh, racism would be a hate crime in, if it meets that criteria of, as I understand, a hate crime, a crime committed against another person or group that is motivated by racial hatred, then of course um, uh, racism would be a hate crime. Thank you very much, Mr. Dupree. Are you are you happy with the presentation? Uh, Mr. Chair, thank you very much. I do not have any questions to raise at this stage. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Fanzel, for making an effort to enrich our legislative drafting. All comments. Our presentations will be taken into consideration when the bill is dealt with clause by clause. Uh, with that, uh, members and uh, people on the virtual platform and those who are watching us from home, we have come to the end of our public hearings, which uh, started uh, last term. So they stretched over three days. Um, with um, 
uh, full presentations of uh, public hearings uh, last term, and then we could not finish. Uh, we also had uh, two days, that is yesterday and today, uh, we have come to the end of the public uh, hearings. We would like to thank all organizations that have uh, made an effort to make uh, representations or to make presentations before the committee. We assure them that uh, all presentations made have uh, made a very valuable input to our process and they've enriched our process. We would start with the close by close uh, when we come back from recess and we would be finalizing, the committee would be attempting to finalize the cannabis bill and the land court bill uh, this term before the 15th of, uh, uh, of June. And when we come back from recess in August, uh, we will use that term to try and finalize uh, or attempt to finalize this bill. Thank you very much, uh, members. And the meeting is adjourned. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. Have a nice uh, afternoon as well. Thank you very much, sir. Um, okay. Honorable Chanchi. Honorable Janji. Okay, thank you.